How great Thou art. Our God is a God of order. He is a God of balance. Which is why I must arrange these chairs before I get started. You guys knew this was going to happen. Because even though I can't see that, I know what's going on behind me. And you guys on the ends have no idea. But you folks in the middle can thank me later that I got the chairs back in alignment there. So, good morning, everyone. I hope you've had a, a good week. I hope you are dodging germs. Uh, we are not at our house, but not as severe as uh, some of you have uh, fallen into. And so, uh, we're certainly going to have a, a prayer list. And uh, obviously, for some folks who've had some ongoing illnesses and those who are contracting it. So, spring is coming. I'm pretty sure of that. It usually does. So, if we can just manage the next uh, few weeks here and get through this. You know, one thing I I love about life right now is the random questions that uh, our kids ask. You know, we'll be driving along and they'll just ask random questions. What sports did you play? Or, you know, who is your best friend in, in school? Or, you know, how long did you get to stay up? They always want to know that after you tell them it's time to go to bed. But it's fun for me to recall and retell the great adventures of my childhood and the marvelous mysteries that I discovered and all of the dangerous tricks that I survived and the the harrowing hardships that we braved. And and some of y'all are snickering, but you did not grow up in Levy. David Hawley knows exactly what I'm talking about. I still have Levy dirt under my fingernails from bearing a lot of evidence. But I cannot think of days of yore without thinking about all the time I spent at my nanny and papa's house. And so, uh, more than my second home, it was really, Dad would probably say it was my primary home, and I just went to their house to change clothes. But one of the things I loved about it is, is the back bedroom was my uncle's bedroom when he was still at home, and so it became my bedroom. And so I would sleep back there. And the cool thing is, is that there was a television back there in that bedroom. And so, you know, how long did you get to stay up? Well, I got to stay up as long as I wanted to if I was at Nanny's house. And I was long enough to see Star Trek. So I found Star Trek. And obviously this was, you know, this was the William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy Star Trek. This was the original Star Trek. But it would come on like at 1030. It came on after the news. And so... I would stay up and watch it. And I was fascinated by this. I love this show. And so, you know, it had the greatest introduction of all time. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations in the greatest line ever, to boldly go where no one, has gone before. Wow! That is awesome! Then the music would start. But the reason, the reason I think it resonated with me is because I wanted that boldness, that space exploration. I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than me, greater than me. And those were the dreams I have. Some great mission. I wanted boldness. Something that required boldness to accomplish. Like a teenager in New York, who was held up at gunpoint. And so the, the robbers put the gun to the boy and said, you know, give, hand over your wallet, everything in your pockets. And he said, no. And they put the gun in his chest and they said, give us your wallet. And he said, no. 
and they left. <laughs> they left him. And so, the police, of course, he called the police. The police came. They were taking this report. And they were like, son, why would you not give them your wallet? Why would you take this chance? He said, my learner's permit was in my wallet. It was a, it was a big deal to him. And so it was a big deal. And it gave him boldness to be able to say, no, you cannot have this. And boldness has always been an explanation, even back from the Garden of Eden, since our disobedience, we lived in Eden. Because the very first emotion that's recorded after Adam and Eve disobeyed was fear. And since that time, we have lived in this cloud of timidity as humanity on this earth. So you have a man like Peter who pledged that he would die for Jesus. Lord, I will die for you. But all it took was Jesus being arrested and a young girl asking Peter, hey, weren't you with him? Didn't you know this man? For Peter to to curse, no, I do not know him, and run away. That's all it took. And so then we come to the first chapters of Acts. And we see Peter, this guy who looks like he was in no way ready for a big mission who was afraid. And now he is fear is nowhere in his vocabulary. And it was never more evident than his day in court when he was called before the authorities. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple for the hour of prayer, afternoon prayers, as they would do as good Jewish young men. And in that time, there was no government safety net if you were poor or disabled or you know outcast. There was no social security. There was no Medicaid, Medicare. There was nothing to sustain you. And so you relied on the good graces of humanity. And so where else would you want to be if you were needing something than in front of a church? You know, so the the steps of the temple as good church folk were going up there. And so, you know, this guy's sitting there with, with his sign, probably, you know, help me. And so the thought would be that you put these people at the temple gate. And then people coming back for the church would help him. So this man had been there, and he was about you know, 40 years old, been lame most of his life, and so he's sitting there as he had every day before. And so he's kind of become part of the scenery, people stepping around him, stepping over him, and so to the point of where they don't really see him anymore. He's just always been there, much as we do on our regular routes as we're driving back and forth uh, in our daily business. People who are always standing there that it gets to the point to where we don't see them. But this particular day, Peter sees him. And he says to him, look, man, it's a long story, but I got to tell you, I got nothing. I got nothing. Silver and gold I don't have. But here's what I do have. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, you get up and walk. And so this man doesn't look like me trying to get up after I've sat on the floor for too long. He doesn't look like that. Scripture says he immediately gets up and begins to jump around and dance. Just thrilled. And he goes with them into the temple. Follows them in there where people recognize him because they've seen him for years sitting out there on the steps. And so while this crowd gathers around a rubberneck, Peter thinks, hey, we got a crowd. I think I'll preach. And so Peter rears back, you know, and this is what it looks like to live by the Spirit. It's it's seeing, being aware of a moment that God gives you and acting upon it. And so Peter didn't have on his Google calendar that day, heal a lame man. He probably didn't even have on his to-do list for that day, let's preach a sermon down at the temple. 
No notification had popped up to remind him to do this. But when we allow ourselves to be aware of God's leading, I believe he will constantly give us things that we were not expecting when we got out of bed that morning. And I've experienced that in my life as I've been aware of the world around me as I go about my day. People were going to get to me. Things were going to get to do. And so Peter walks through that open door. And he enters this and he begins to preach. He says, it's not my power. It's not my capability. That's not the reason and the way I'm able to do this. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the power of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucify, by the way. But the fact that he can leap about now, the fact that this lame man is now healed from a lifetime of being crippled is proof that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. That tomb is empty that you put him in. And so in chapter 4 and verse 1, While Peter and John were speaking to the people about this, the priest and the commander of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, angry because they were teaching the people and announcing in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. A big deal for the Pharisees because they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. A big deal for the Sadducees because they didn't believe in resurrection. So he had everybody worked up here. And so they seized him. And they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had listened to the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. And I love here how you can jail the messenger, but you cannot chain the message. And the church now is exploding because of this. And so on the next day, it says, the rulers, elders, and experts in the law came together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others who were members of the high priest's family. So why? We talked about last week how when, when these 3,000 people were baptized, not a single name was called out from that group of people. But here, Luke mentions specifically just a handful of people who were here. Why does Luke want us to care about who was here in this group, because it's the same court, it's the same people who stood before Jesus and condemned Him. That's why He wants us to know. And so after making Peter and John stand in their midst, they began to inquire, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, replied, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today for a good deed done to a sick man, by what means this man was healed? And so Peter's like, come on, guys, what's this really about? Is this really about us healing some guy? Is this about this lame guy? Well, no, that's not the real problem, is it? He says, well, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healthy. And now Peter is going to quote Scripture to the Bible scholars. This fisherman who, because and by the Holy Spirit, was able to speak languages on that day of Pentecost, is now going to recall and retell and preach to the preachers. And so in verse 11, he says this stone, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders that has become the cornerstone. And then he rears back and he boldly goes 
where no lower class citizen has ever gone before. See, remember, when they brought them in, they thought they were going to put Peter on the defensive. And Peter goes on the offensive. And he says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and discovered that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized these men had been with Jesus. And so they're baffled because this Jewish court is skilled in the art of intimidation. That's what they do. They bring people in and they intimidate them to get their will and to, to impose their will and their way in the name of God, by the way, in many cases. They, they rule by power and by force and by threat. And so they're used to intimidating the nobodies. And now before them are these nobodies and they're not scared. They're not scared at all. And the leaders, don't, they don't know what to do. They haven't seen this before. They haven't encountered this. So they tried to chain their bodies. But they could not and did not chain the impact. And so they tried to chain their tongues. And so they said in verse 18, they called them in and they ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And here is the first time a government has said it's against the law to speak the name of Jesus. And there are still governments today in this world who do that. And then we have interest groups in the United States today who are trying to impose this in all different ways and varieties. Fight tooth and nail to silence the name of Jesus. See, this is the beginning here of what people call Christian civil disobedience. But Peter and John replied, Whether it is right before God to obey you rather than God, you have to decide. For it is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. And as this reads in a, a, a simpler original, it's we cannot but speak. It's almost like we, we can't exist without doing this. This is part of who we are now and what we must do. And Peter doesn't know what's going to happen when he says this. He has no idea. This could be his last day to live because courage always has a cause. Husbands know that. We know sometimes when you speak the truth, it's going to have a cost. They disobeyed a direct order from the authorities. The command of this human court, they disobeyed because they had to obey the command of a higher court. And so all through Acts, you see this kind of boldness spreading. You see Stephen coming up. Stephen's going to be bold like this and it costs him his life. And Paul will be arrested. He'll be imprisoned. He'll be chained physically. He'll be beaten because of this bold message. And we've already seen that, what the very last words in this book of Acts say, how Paul was, was still proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching, even in prison, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with complete boldness and without restriction. This boldness. And Luke wants us to know that in one generation... They really did obey the commands of Jesus and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. One generation did it. And we're still struggling today to do this. You cannot complete this mission unless you go boldly. But how could they go so boldly? How do you get courage like this? 
And so not only did the council see that Peter and John were ordinary men, but they also saw they were amazed and recognized these men had been with Jesus. Boldness is not the result of some degree. It's not even the result of a position or even the number of years that you've been a Christian. Boldness is the result of discipleship, of walking with Christ by His Spirit. Courage is the byproduct of spending time with the risen Christ and being filled with His Spirit. So could it be the church continues to lose influence, not because Christians are living secret sinful lives, but that we are living secret Christian lives. The presence of timidity is evidence of our absence of intimacy with Jesus. And so they recognized they had been with Jesus. So in what specific and intentional ways have you been with Jesus recently? You know, a superficial relationship with Jesus isn't tolerated so much because we are bad people as much as it is because we're busy people. Say, I've got to be here and I've got to be there and I've got to be with this person, I've got to be with that person, and today I just didn't have time to be with Jesus. And the consequence of this is a slow, subtle leak of our courage. We lose our courage in the presence of God is the only path to the absence of fear. Which is why we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 5, Your conduct must be free from the love of money. You must be content with what you have. For He has said what? I will never leave you. And I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. Because what can people, what can man do to me? When the Lord is my helper, people are full of courage because they're full of the Spirit of Christ. So how do you have this much courage? You spend time with Jesus and you know that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. We know we spend time with Him and we know that He truly is the way, the truth, the life. So you talk about contempt of court. As Peter is telling this, this was a bold statement then. And it's a bold statement today. But why would they stand before authorities? Why would they get arrested? Why would they be beaten? Why would they have their property stolen? Why would they lose their jobs and even be killed if one faith is just as good as another? Why would they do that? If every path goes to heaven, I'm not dying for Jesus. I'm not. If all roads lead to heaven, I'm picking a different road. This ain't my road. See, we're in a culture where we think persecution is some late night talk show host who makes fun of us for believing a certain way. We think that's persecution. In our society, it is. But you look around the world. We have brothers and sisters who, in this world, every single day have to decide, do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God or do I not? Because my life truly does depend on it. Christians are not persecuted for doing kind things. Christians are arrested and beaten and ridiculed for doing those kind things in the name of Jesus. 
That's why. And so on the basis of faith in Jesus' name, His very name has made this man whom you see and know strong. It's Jesus' name that has made this man strong. So what's the point? Peter, come on, what's the point, man? Well, here's the point. Therefore, he says, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. Do you want your sins to be wiped out? Do you want this to be made right? Then you've got to turn to the name of Jesus. It's the only name. And you know how when you erase something on a piece of paper, you can still see a faint imprint? No matter how hard you erase, you can still see a faint imprint there, no matter how hard you try. Well, the picture that Peter paints for us here is that when it's erased, It looks like a brand new sheet of paper. In fact, it looks like it's never even been touched. There are no indentions from the pencil lead. There are no streaks from accidentally getting too close to that little band, that little aluminum band on the end of the pencil and scratching your paper. It looks pristine. That's what it means in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter knows there's only one eraser that can completely remove the stain of sin, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he must speak this. We cannot but speak this. And he's not alone. Because everyone impacted by this name of Jesus could not but speak about him. What do we see in verse 8? This man jumped up, stood, and began walking around, and he entered the temple courts with them, walking and leaping, and what? Praising God, this invalid who just a few minutes earlier was too impure to even enter the temple area. But after he was healed, this man skipped, he leaped about, he danced his way right through the door. What was made impossible before this is now made possible by the name of Jesus Christ. So he's going to go talk about the Christ who enabled him to walk. Because you can, cannot chain the person who has been released by the power of Jesus Christ. There was a man who was addicted, chained to alcoholism. And so much so that he spent his paycheck every week on liquor. And through Jesus, he was able to break that chain of addiction and get his life back in order. Start taking care of his family, who he had even put his furniture in hock to pay for his addiction. But with this freedom, of course, came the, the derision, the co-workers who ridiculed his faith. You really believe all those stories, those fairy tales in that Bible? You really believe that, that you know, that Jesus turned water into wine? And this guy who was new in the faith said, well, you know what, I don't know if Jesus turned water into wine. But I know in my house, He turned beer into furniture. See, this man had gotten his life back and been able to restore things in his life because he was a leaper, just like this man at the temple. Are you a sleeper? Or are you a leaper? See, for a sleeper, Christianity has become routine. It's just one more thing that we squeeze onto a crowded plate. One more thing during our day. They know how to do the believer thing. Sleepers do. We can do a believer thing. It's such a way of life that we're really not ever fully impacted by Christ. 
You can live by sleepers. You can work with sleepers. You can play, by, play with them for years and never really know that they're a Christian. But then there are leapers who cannot and will not be contained, who you know from the minute you're around them, everything about them, you will quickly find out that, yes, Jesus Christ is who changed my life. Jesus saved my marriage. Jesus helped me break free from my addiction. Jesus turned me into the kind of father, the kind of mother, the kind of daughter, the kind of son that I needed to be for my family, for my children. Those are the kind of people that you want to be around because they keep your courage tank filled. It's contagious to be around those kind of people. You hang out with people who refuse to keep secret what Jesus is doing about their life and you will stop being so secret about what He's doing in yours. So what's this court going to do? What are these men going to do? Peter's got them up against a wall here. They're going to look at Peter. They can speak to Peter with this power of a mandate, but Peter is standing next to them with the power of a miracle. And he will not be contained. And because they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say against this. Shut their mouths. They could not speak. Because Peter could not but speak. And I know there are leapers in this room. And if you spend time with them, you will understand this. You, they, you talk Jesus with them. And your courage tank just gets filled up. And Peter would say, all those incredible stories you're hearing, all the ways that Jesus is working in and through their lives, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because here's the biggest reason they were so bold. Back up in verse 2, they were teaching the people and announcing in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. See, the courage tank was full because they believed the tomb of Jesus was empty. That's why the news and the evidence of a risen Christ dropped like a boulder into the hearts of these believers and the ripples, these tidal waves of courage carried them to the corners of the earth. They would not, could not be contained. And Peter preached what God did for Jesus. He's going to do for all of us. And you do not fear an enemy when his best weapon has been neutralized. You do not. I will run screaming like a frightened toddler when a wasp is after me. I will do it. And some of you have seen me do that. <laughs> but when I walk up on a wasp lying on the ground struggling in a, in a, a gallon of spray that I've just covered it with, and my foot is on it, and I'm crushing it into the pavement as hard as I can, grinding it with my toe, then I'm like, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we see that death has been defeated, we cannot be contained, and we will not be contained. But Satan has kept all of us in fear because we had no answer for the grave. We had no answer. And Jesus came and He destroyed that fear. He conquered the grave. And the very first words of the risen Christ were, don't be afraid. Do not fear. We are resurrection people. 
So we must not fear. And this does not mean that we're going to have a life of no pain. It doesn't mean we're going to have no problems in our lives or even no persecution. But what it does mean is that all of those sufferings will be redemptive. God is going to redeem them fully. Our struggles can be purposeful. Our sacrifices rewarded. And the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus always gets the last word. And it was that confidence that embarked a mission that would not be intimidated. Bold discipleship only bows to one throne. And when they were released, Peter and John went to their fellow believers and reported everything the high priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind and said, Master of all, You who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. It's amazing to me. They did not whine. They did not complain. And they did not get on Facebook and rant about the government. And now, Lord, pay attention to their threats and grant to Your servants to speak Your message with great courage, with boldness, while You extend Your hand to heal and to bring about miraculous signs and wonders through the name of Your holy servant, Jesus. And they did not ask God to take away all of their problems. They did ask God to take away their temptation to be timid. They weren't asking for comfort. They were asking for courage. Not deliverance, but delivery. And more power and boldness. Here's what's so interesting. Lord, give us more power and more boldness to do more of the very thing that got us in trouble to start with. And they knew if they kept it up, what they were doing was going to get worse. And they just said, bring it, Lord. Bring it. And as honest as I can be, I think I pray more for comfort than I do for boldness. Many times. You know, God, fix this. God, make this better. Make it right. Straighten them out. Get rid of my problems. But what if... What if instead of asking God to make our lives easier, we started asking God to make our faith bolder, to make our love stronger, to make our testimony louder? What if we started praying to God, make our discipleship braver? What would this world look like? What would the church look like if we did that? Oh, I think life would become very much more uncomfortable. But the good news is, we have a comforter. God has given us a comforter. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God courageously. Oh, maybe we need to unleash a better prayer. Just maybe. Where do you fear the most? Where in your life are you the most afraid? Is it your finances? Where you have the hardest time trusting God? Is Is it your purity? Is it sharing your faith with people? Is it some secret sin that you've covered up and are afraid that it's going to be revealed? Where do you face fear the most? When the early church faced fear, they asked for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe we need to unleash a better prayer. 
so that we can boldly go where we have not gone before. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Father, You are Creator, You are Sustainer, You are Overwatcher. Father, You are the One who rights all wrongs. You are the One who is the center of all that is and was and is to come. Father, we bow our hearts before You. And God, we just ask for boldness. Father, we ask that in our daily lives, each day, each moment, that our hearts and our tongues will be filled with the name of Your Son, Jesus. And that, Father, as You open doors for us with co-workers, with family, with friends, with the young lady who checks us out at Walmart, Father, that we would be bold to speak the name of Christ, what He is and has done in our lives and what He is and will do in their lives. And Father, we pray for boldness. Father, we pray for courage. God, we know, we recognize the great tool that Satan uses on us is timidity. And Father, we, we shirk at that sometimes, too often. But God, we pray that You would help us to stand, not just on the cross, but on top of that stone that You rolled away from the tomb as we proclaim we serve a risen Savior. And it's because He is risen. You raised Him up, Father, that You raise us up. And Father, raise us up today to be Your children in this world to be the light through which can be seen Your glory. Father, we pray for boldness. The degree to which we need it, Father, we pray that You will deliver it to us. And God, that we will follow Your lead. Father, we thank You and we praise You so much for calling us and allowing us to be Your children. God, we want nothing more than to fill Your house with more brothers and more sisters. So, Father, give us boldness. Make us bold. Father, make Satan tremble in our presence because we carry Your Spirit into this world. Father, I pray all of this through the only name given to us by which we must be saved. In the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Perhaps today you have a need for prayer. Maybe it's not boldness. Maybe you have a need for something else. But every one of us has a Father who is always listening, always ready, always waiting for us to approach His throne. And this morning we have an opportunity to come together to lift each other up, to encourage and strengthen one another. And maybe it is some sin in your life that's caused you to pull the curtain over your Christianity, your Christian witness. God calls you to repent of that. Release that so that He can release you back into this world to be His witness, His voice, His ambassador of His Son. Perhaps it's timidity that's kept you from confessing the name of Jesus Christ, His Son. Will you be filled with boldness this morning as God calls you 
to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Not erasing the paper, but giving you a whole new notebook to fill with the blessings He's going to pour into your life. The greatest blessing of all is knowing that you can stand by that empty tomb, knowing that it cannot bind you any more than it could bound Christ. Because God has released us from the fear of death. If you are ready to become a child of God this morning, the water is ready. What's keeping you from going where you have not gone before? In the name of Jesus Christ, will you make that decision this morning as we stand and sing this good song? You are beautiful beyond description.